Turn in your Bible to the book of John. The book of John. Say, where's that? That's in the back part of the Bible, but New Testament. All right, that app right behind Angry Birds that you have. Find it, all right? Go to the New Testament and go to the book of John. All right, primarily said that for Joe Temple today. All right, hi, Joe. All right. John, the 20th chapter, in many ways, serves the real genesis and the basis of everything that we believe. It's the account of Mary and those two disciples coming to find a tomb that's empty. Now, let me say to you that not just the doctrine, but the understanding and belief of the resurrection of Christ, it forms the entire basis of everything else that we believe. Paul went on in 1 Corinthians and says, if we don't really believe in this resurrection, we are pathetic. We're to be pitied beyond all men. And this early church, this was, the, this was the buzz. It wasn't who the next president's going to be. It wasn't Brexit. It wasn't, you know, how do we, uh, you know, t- take a gospel principle to put more money in my pocket and make my life better. The buzz of the early church was one thing, resurrection. That's what they were talking about. Man, can you believe that this Jesus came out of that tomb? But not only that, they were looking forward to the resurrection of their own bodies. So we don't talk about resurrection much except at Easter. I mean, that's the obligatory Easter message is the empty tomb. But somehow the miracle and the power of the resurrection life of God, it needs to be a daily devotional for you and for me. One of the principles of the kingdom is God is always making alive that which was what? Dead. He did the same thing to you and to me. There has to be some agency to act on someone that's dead. I got saved. I I prayed a prayer and came to the front and received Jesus. Who helped you with that? Let me just tell you. It was God that opened your blind eyes. It was God. That moved you from death to life. Resurrection power. We cannot talk about it enough. But let's look at the account. We'll read some verses together. John the 20th chapter beginning in verse 1. Early on the first day of the week while it was still dark. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple. Now... The other disciple, who will we talk? John. He's a writer of this, of this narrative. I love the way that John is trying to stay cool. John is trying to stay humble in his the description of himself. But if we read on, he begins to fail a little bit. Anyway, so the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. I'm just, just, I'm saying without saying. The one Jesus loved. Said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Verse 4. Both were running, but the other disciple, of course he outran Peter. And reached the tomb first. Notice the humility in the other disciple here. He bent over and looked in, say looked in, in. 
at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, (laughs) he's slow. He arrived and went into the tomb. He saw, say he saw, the strips of linen lying there as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself separate from the linen. Another level of detail. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first. John, I think we got it here. I think we got it. Also went inside. He saw, say he saw, saw. and believed. Say that, and believed. believed. He saw and believed. Now what's fascinating about this account, and I love this, is that if this had been an account that man had made up, we wouldn't see all the bumbling and fumbling that was going on. I mean, we see Jesus appearing to Mary. Mary thinks he's the gardener. I mean, it's just like, whoa. I mean, how do you put into words something that man has never experienced before? They're doing the best they can. But if this had been something that someone had made up, there would have been angels. I mean, there would have been, oh, yes, I knew from the very beginning that he was. No, 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 no. They don't know what's going on. So you see a lot of humanity in this account, which to me... Just it helps me lend to the validity of the gospel account that we're seeing here of humanity trying to come to grips with divinity. Let me just tell you, there should always be some kind of storm where humanity and divinity come together. Where at some point we have to step back and our theology will fail us and we have to just say, huh? I hope that you have a lot of experiences with God in your life that all you can do is say, huh? rather than trying to explain it. But we find three words here for the same verb. Now, as you know, as we look at original languages, Hebrew and Greek, they're very descriptive languages. So we use a verb and we conjugate it to see or to look. And that's pretty much it. It's very monodimensional. But what we see in these languages is a depth that begins to describe really what is happening at a depth that we that we failed to get in English. And this, we see three distinct words, three different words that are used for the verb to see or to look. We see when John gets there first and he says he looks in, but he didn't go in. That is a unique Greek word, which means to clearly see a material object. And so you look down and you just get a glimpse. Well, that's a dude sitting there. But we, I mean, it's just a glimpse. We just, we just, we don't really get much depth of understanding other than there's a human being occupying that spot. So there's, it's a glance. And that word means, again, to see an object. But then when Peter looked in, what do we find with Peter? Peter gives us a level of detail that John didn't give us. He saw the strips of linen, yes, but it goes on and he saw the face cloth and it had been folded up. Very important clues that we get that somehow Jesus' body was not stolen in haste. I mean, you don't steal something and fold everything up and leave it neat. Kind of important that we, that we see this. But Peter is seeing something at a level that John didn't see the first time. 
And it's yet a second distinct Greek word, which means to contemplate, observe, and scrutinize. What does that mean? It means that rather than just looking and saying there's a human being, we look down. Well, in David's part, that's a stretch. But we look down. I'm sorry. The humor doesn't work here. But you look down and you say, okay, that's a, that's a male, I think. And he's got on jeans and a shirt. And, you know, and, and we begin to tap into the database and we begin to assess something now at a deeper level because I'm taking a more intense look. Are, are, you, are, you, are you hearing me here? But then it says the other disciple, John, goes back in and we see yet a third Greek word which means to understand and to perceive the significance of. He looked again. And so in this particular case, we look down, it's not, that's a human being. Or we look down, okay, that's a male human being, and he's got on jeans and a shirt. We look down and saying, that's David, that's my buddy, that's my friend. And we begin to understand the significance and the depth of, of, of something that we've built over years together. Three different words to look or to see. And what happened and what's remarkable, it says that when John looked that second time, it says he saw and he believed. Now, what makes John remarkable is this is the only account of one of the disciples that without an appearance of Jesus himself, he believed that he'd been raised from the dead. He saw the empty tomb and without having an encounter with a resurrected body of Jesus Christ, like everyone else did, John saw an empty tomb and he believed that he had been raised from the dead. He didn't need any other evidence other than that right there. But he believed because he did what? He looked again. He looked again. And that's the title of this message today is to look again. Because I think what we find here in this account in John 20, we see a progression of many times how we assess a thing. Many times we just, we, we have our natural sight. It's just a glance. We get some information and then maybe we look again and we get some perception. But it's when we look that third time, that's when revelation comes to us. We move from information to perception to revelation. We begin to see something that God is wanting us to see. And I don't know about you, but I face enough things in my life. I need to look again beyond the natural. Anybody else here that needs to look beyond what the bank statement says? Anybody needs to see beyond what the principal just wrote about your child? Anybody else? Come on. Anybody else? Need to look again, maybe in terms of what's happening in our political process in this nation right now. Ah! Come on. We need to look again beyond red state and blue state and Hillary and, and Trump. And we need to look beyond all of these issues and say, God, what are you doing? What are you saying in this moment to your people, the church? So that we can be a people like the sons of Issachar that understand the times and know what the church is supposed to do. But we better look again. We better look again. Do we see and do we really hear what God is wanting us to see and hear in this moment? Matthew 13, quoting the book of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing but never understanding and ever seeing but never perceiving. 
Let me say to you, because of the presence of the Holy Spirit now dwelling on the inside of you and me, that should not be our testimony. And when we have the talk about, here's a word, the ultimate spirit guide. Don't like that terminology much. But talk about the ultimate spirit guide, the very third person of God in the form of the Holy Spirit now lives on the inside of you and me. Doing what? Illuminating our eyesight and opening our ears to hear what heaven is saying. But the question is, are we, are we doing it? We look at that end of Jesus' ministry, but look at the other side of it. We go over to Luke, the second chapter. So we can't talk about Luke, it's not Christmas. Go to Luke, the second chapter. And we find a couple of old folk, which I can relate to now, who just hanging around the temple all the time, Simeon and Anna. Anna witted at an early age. She'd been there for decades just praying. And then we find Simeon, this old dude. And we find in this moment this young couple, Mary and Joseph, coming to dedicate their firstborn at the temple in accordance with the law. Now understand that Simeon had been here a long time. God had made a certain promise to him. He said, you will not die until you see the consolation of Israel, until you see the Messiah. Now, ladies, I don't want to hurt your feelings here, but men, we look down at little people. And this is pretty much what we see. Yeah, that's a baby. Nice. That's pretty much, we don't really get it the same way women do. Yeah, I mean, come on, JC. Women get together around the bassinet. I mean, when Blythe and Jermaine bring their new one in here, everybody, oh, he's got your eyes and he's got your nose. And oh, he's just going, he's going to be. And the men are just like, yep, baby. They got another one, you know. There's another 300 grand down the pot. I mean, I'm sorry, ladies, but I mean, I'm just breaking it down for you the best that I can. And we look down, and in that moment, he's asleep, and we think, I like him. He's quiet. <laughs> See, women are real intuitive about all this. You know, they get, all, they get all googly about it, you know. Men, we're just small person, okay? We're good. And you remember, ladies, your first one about how protective you were? I mean, it was just like somebody, oh, let me hold your baby. Have you had your shots? Here, here's a gallon of pure ale. Dump it over your head. It's a new anointing with oil, all right? Please don't look at him too long or breathe on him, all right? The firstborn, you're really, you know, you're, you're kind of protective over. You remember that? By the time you get to your third or fourth, it's like, yeah, sure, take him. You know, you want him for the year? You can have him if you'll feed him. You get to get more casual as it goes on, all right? I remember growing up with my, when, we, when our kids were still at home, Car seats. Remember, car seats. We were talking about going on trips. You remember the, the cars that had the deep glass in the back and it had a shelf behind the back seat. You guys don't remember that. That was another seat. You could put a child back there. <laughs> Seriously, forget the seat. Everybody said, I know you didn't. Yeah, we did. <laughs> we really did. Trust me. All right. And at the same time, we had these, we, we had these um, strollers during that time. 
And they were nothing more than umbrellas with little wheels on them. Remember those? You fold those bad boys up. They only weighed a pound. That was wonderful. But now you've got NASA who are building these. You can strap your child in. They can survive re-entry. You with me? You got car systems. That God is my witness. The whole system costs more than the car that we put our kids in. So imagine in this moment, this old dude is walking up to Mary and Joseph with their first saying, get me your child. (laughs) Seriously, think about this. He hadn't probably been, his personal hygiene was probably shot by that time. I mean, he's not, I mean, he's just weird. Got these big bug eyes, you know, give me your child, you know, security. (laughs) But what was it? That Mary and Joseph then hand their child over to Simeon. Talk about revelation. But what was Simeon seeing with this little person that he hadn't seen in the thousands of other children that had been brought to this very same place to be dedicated? Simeon was an old guy. His eyesight was shot, very much like Pastor Dukes. I mean, he's not seeing well. He's not hearing well. But something in this moment, the Holy Spirit is saying, That's the one you've been waiting for. And he looked again. Wow, there he is. After all these years. And the miracle that Simeon would be moved on by the Holy Spirit to look at this child differently than every other child and the miracle that Mary and Joseph would hand their kid over to Simeon. And we find this amazing prayer. In Luke 2, 29, Simeon praying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Simeon had to look again. This wasn't just another child. This was the Christ he'd been waiting for. So let me give you some thoughts this morning about looking again. Looking again again. You know, we talk a lot about vision. We love that word. I want a vision for my life. But let me just tell you, having a vision has to begin with having vision. How we begin to look and see not only that which heaven is doing, but see what God is doing in and through those people God has placed around us. The first is passage and direction. Acts, the 16th chapter, we find Paul and his companions, and they're just trying to go preach this gospel. It's not a bad thing. And it seems like over and over, we see language like being forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak in Asia. They come to Mysia. The Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. By the way, just as a side note, this is kind of one of those neat Trinitarian passages, by the way. I mean, so here we're trying to do a good thing. And God wouldn't let them go. And then as a result of the closed doors, they have a vision of a man from Macedonia. This says, come over here. And it says, at once, we concluded that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And you see, it was Paul's obedience at this point that the gospel went westward and ultimately Europe and the Western world were evangelized. Why? Based on a closed door. Listen to me carefully, saints. Some of us have been around this Pentecostal charismatic thing long enough that we see a closed door as an invitation 
to, do, to, to start our Holy Ghost throwdown. Door, I command thee in the name of Jesus, open your closed door. You smack a little bit and declare and decree that door to be opened. And Jesus is on the other side holding it closed and said, what are you doing? Seriously? I mean, we like the idea of being led by the principle of the closed door, open door. Could I submit to you today that Jesus has closed some doors in your life on purpose? It's not for you to get all charismatic about it and shun die that bad boy. No. It's to find out maybe God's got this door closed. Come on, ladies and gentlemen. Aren't you glad God closed the door on some of those idiots that you dated? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Aren't you glad? I mean, you tried. They said no. Because God was saying no. And many times God will lead us that way. And we think, oh, God's being mean to us. No, he's not. He's saving your life. Stop trying to open that which God has purposefully closed. Why? Because he's got another door for you. He's got something better that he wants you to step through and step into. Hear me. And hear the word of the Lord today. There have been some doors that have been previously closed. God is wanting you to step up to again. And you won't have to put your shoulder against. But it'll be like walking into Wegmans. And you just walk up to the door and the doors are going to fly open. I believe that specifically speaks to things in the realm of employment. Hear me. Doors that have been previously closed to Holy Spirit is saying, I want you to go re-knock on some doors. Just knock, don't push, don't press, and watch. I'm going to open some doors. Second is provision, supernatural provision. How many of you know that sometimes you've got to look hard to see the provision of God? I mean, we tend to look at things very, very naturally. I mean, we look at, you know personal financial statements and spreadsheets and bank statements and all of this. And we begin to make certain assessments about God's provision based on what we see with our natural eye. And yet most of the time that which God has already provided for us, we just not seeing it yet. And let me make an important distinction. Many times the enemy comes to us and says, God's withholding from you. When in reality, what God is doing is storing up for you. Let me tell you, there's a huge difference in the two things. My kids and my grandkids can tell you that part of my love language is giving stuff. I like to give stuff away. I've got closets in my house, some of which have already been discovered by the little people. <laughs> of things that I have already stored up. that they, I'll come home with, with these things and my wife says... They're four and seven. They can't. They'll grow into it, baby. It's going to be all right. (laughs) I've got it stored up for them. But guess what? I'm not releasing it to them in this moment because they're not ready for it. Are you hearing me? Now, the challenge is, is when they get a peek and they say, why can't I have it now? And I say, because you're not ready. What do you mean I'm not ready? And their juvenile response many times is exactly the same as our juvenile response. We go, 
Because we get hold of some promise in God and we think that God's withholding it from us when in reality, God knows if I give it to you now, you'll break it. You'll squander it. It will bring leanness to your soul. You can't handle the truth. (laughs) And we need eyes sometimes to see supernaturally what God's provided. And listen, many times that provision comes in the place of deserts. 1 Kings 19, a very bad woman has sent Elijah packing. Most powerful prophet. I mean, this is the man, Elijah. And Jezebel says, I'm coming for you. And he takes off like a little girl. And he's out in the desert for a while trying to escape this. And he basically falls asleep to die. And he says, at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And it's just like, I didn't know there was a McDonald's out here anywhere. It says, he looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. We need supernatural eyesight to see what God has already prepared for us. And let me say this. I also believe that there is supernatural provision for healing in this moment as well. My wife and I met this remarkable woman in Poland some years ago. In January of 2015, we were there and we were ministering. She had gotten very ill. She'd lost a lot of weight. They weren't quite sure what was wrong with her. And I remember giving her a word in that moment that God was not finished with her. And she would go into, she goes into nations and goes into tribes, literally, who have no Bible translation. And because of the size of the people group, larger Bible translation concerns like Wycliffe will never go. So she goes in and trains those indigenous peoples how to translate scripture. A few months after we left, we got word back that the doctors had diagnosed her with stage four stomach cancer and sent her home to die. Pastor called me, how do we navigate this with our church, et cetera, et cetera. One doctor decided to take a look at her charts again. And he said, This is treatable. This is far from fatal. And began to treat her for her problem. We were back there this year. She's completely healthy. She's back on the field. And God has raised her up. But the story doesn't even end there. She had been on medication for being bipolar most of her life. As a result of the medicine she was given to heal what was going on in her stomach, it completely rearranged the chemistry in her body and God healed her of her bipolar syndrome at the same time. You see, God doesn't just bring us to a place of healing on one thing. When God gets his hands on us, he brings us all the way into health. Sometimes we stop short of the help that God has for us. But guess what? That woman's alive today because one doctor chose to do what? Look again. He looked again. Some of you have some things going on in your body. Doctors are not quite sure what's going on. Or maybe they've said it's this. Maybe they've said it's that. Let me just tell you, look again. This is a moment of healing. Three, protection. I'll just mention this quickly. Second Kings 6. We find the story here of Gehazi and Elisha. I believe Elisha's sleeping in. I like prophets like to sleep in late. 
And Gehazi gets up, and I mean, the posse's there. I mean, nuclear, tactical nukes. I mean, the army's there. And he comes in, and he wakes Elisha up. I'm taking some liberty with Scripture, by the way. He wakes Elisha up, and he says, Ah, we're going to die here today. And Elisha kind of rolls over. What? Oh, Lord Jesus. God opened his eyes. Just opened his eyes. And let me hit the snooze button here. And Gehazi steps back outside and says, all around in the hills, there are horses and chariots of fire. Let me ask you a question. Do you think the horses and chariots of fire were released when Elisha prayed? Or do you think they were always there? Oh, they were already there, baby. What was the only difference? He could see them. Let me just tell you, God has released ministering and warring and angels of protection around our lives and around your children's lives. Let me, I mean, I tell you, now maybe you haven't seen him with your natural eye. Maybe God at some moment in your life might give you a peek into what's been released on your behalf. This is not a message about angels here today, except to say this, we need our eyes open to the protection that God has placed around our life. Hmm. Don't like that one. Moving on. Number four, promise. Numbers 13, what made Caleb different? Caleb went in with the other spies and he said, yep, it's great real estate. John Bunn's been trying to sell it to us for years. It's everything he said it was. It's great. It's wonderful. It's only one problem. Man, they got, they, they got every kind of bad dude there you can possibly imagine, man. I mean, they got Amalekites and Jebusites and Parasites and, I mean, you name it. They, if it's an eye, it's there. And there is no way in the world we're going to be able to go in and occupy this land. This young man got up and he says, y'all need hush. Imagine the moxie on this guy. I mean, we're at the top levels of government now bringing back intel. He says, you boys need hush. He said, not only should we go up and take possession, we can. What was Caleb seeing that everybody else wasn't seeing? Caleb saw the same things with his natural eyes. He saw the fortifications. He saw the opposition. The question is, can you see the promise beyond what's standing between you and the promise? Can you see beyond Many of us, we've lost sight of that. Our mountains have gotten so big, we can't see through or around to the promises of God. And yet, Caleb saw something different in that moment. And for you and I, it starts with silencing the voices. Man, I wish it were as simple as telling the devil to go take a hike. I've got to tell you, I've got myself defeated pretty good before the devil ever gets involved. I mean, I've got this kind of narrative in my head about what I'm never going to do or be. Anybody else heard those voices of late? And I got to tell you, it's not a matter of Shundai and I rebuke thee. I mean, I got, for me, most of the time, it's, it's that, you know, self, you need to, you, you got a bad case of Tourette's. You need to just kind of shut it down so that you can hear the voice of God speaking the promise over the lies. And lastly, it's Potential. Potential. You know, you got to see something that's beyond the natural. 
My wife and I met in college. I had a brilliant career in front of me in the fast food industry. which meant I was a music major. My wife was also a music major. And so we were going to lovingly stand in the unemployment line together. But she saw this literally. You got to work at this. So this is where I've, I've, I've led up to this to help you with your spiritual sight. 130 pound. Yes. Don't laugh. It'll hurt me. 130 pound. Red hair, long red hair, like a cocker spaniel. (laughs) I did have hair. She took me home to meet her father. Never forget this. This is the youngest daughter. She's never brought a guy home before. And the first time I meet her dad, now her dad is a man's man. Cattleman, veterinarian, carries a knife and knows how to do unspeakable things with that knife. And the first time he meets me, I'm at their home and I'm practicing my guitar. I had my 30s on. Bell bottoms. Inches. It was an ugly time in fashion. Work with me here for a moment. Okay? It was an ugly moment. I had the 30s. I had the marshmallows, which were the blue suede shoes with the white soles. All right? The hair, the guitar, youngest daughter. The veterinarian dad. You with me so far? This is not going down well. And he takes one look at me and he says, good to meet you, James. Let's go to the barn. I hear the banjos playing and I realize I may not live through this moment. Are you with me? And somehow this woman and her mom and dad, spiritual moms and dad, a spiritual mom and dad to me, somehow through what all this package was that they, they saw something else beyond the 130-pound skinny, would you like fries with that guy? They saw potential. Are you with me? She married me. I won. 38 years ago, she married me because she saw something. God knows Megan had to see something in David. She looked again. She looked again. I'm still looking. We love you, David, mostly. (laughs) The prophet comes to the house of Jesse. Jesse lines up all of his good-looking guys. Hey, my boy's here. Yeah, this D1, he he got lacrosse over here. He's going Ivy League. He's going to the academy. Yeah, good-looking boys. Take a look. Pick one. I know you're going to find a king here. (laughs) And God had already told Samuel, don't look on the outside because that's not what I'm looking at. And he looks down the line. God says to Samuel, he ain't here. And he asked Jesse, are these all your sons? Well, yeah, well, wait a minute. Yeah, we got this one other kid. He stinks like sheep. We don't, we don't really like him much. He's weird. He's really right brain. He builds instruments. He sings all the time. And he's just strange. He doesn't really fit. Go get him. And nobody sits until he gets here. Now imagine his brothers. What do you mean I'm not going to sit now? Twerp? I don't want. What do you mean I'm not going to sit? I won't wait for David to come in. You can tell there's no love lost with David and his brothers. And here David comes in from tending these sheep. 
And he anoints him with oil as the next king of the nation. His daddy didn't see it. His brothers didn't see it. Listen to me. Sometimes those closest around your life don't even get it. They don't see it. But it takes the Holy Spirit to reveal the potential that God has placed on the inside of each one of us. Listen to me. That has to begin with you seeing the potential God's placed on the inside of you. And the devil tries to put up this carnival mirror where you're too, too tall, too fat, too stupid, too whatever, and says, you're never going to. We need to see what God is seeing. But secondly, we need to see the potential in one another. This is how we learn to love one another. This is how we do community together. And I might add, this becomes the genesis for our disciple making. Otherwise, our evangelism becomes a matter of, oh, you're pathetic and going to hell. I'm going to save you today. Or I should do this because Pastor David says we should go, quote, do evangelism. And this is why evangelism fails, is that we go do evangelism rather than seeing the potential that God has placed in every man and woman on the planet. Why? Because we're all made in his image and there's something worth redeeming inside of every man and woman. And it doesn't matter. What nation, what ethnicity, what station in life that they find themselves, there's something redemptive in every man and woman. And you and I have the privilege of seeing it and calling it out. This changes the way we approach what we do out there. Seeing what God sees in others. Look again. I just got back from a conference that I've attended for the last 17 years. It is a, quote, prophetic conference. And what's remarkable going to this conference and being around some, quote, world-class prophets is the absence of what they're saying. They're not talking about the nation, the culture, and the election. We haven't heard any messages for the last two years about that. Because that ship has sailed. But what they're encouraging us to do is to look at the opportunities that are being presented in this moment. That God is divinely setting something up. Go back and just look at the history of the great revivals. And look at what happens culturally and societally prior to God showing up and saying, Have you all thoroughly messed it up now? Okay, now watch this. And then God comes in and God shows up and shows off. Ephesians, the first chapter. I'm closing with this, David. Paul praying this beautiful prayer in the first chapter. And in verse 18, he uses unique language. No other writer in Scripture uses language like this. He says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. You don't think about your heart having eyeballs. You really don't. But Paul understood something here is that in the realm of your emotions, your soul, your heart, you've got to begin to see something because it's in that seeing that you're going to begin to get hold of hope. The inheritance that's yours, the power that's yours as well. But it starts by looking again. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, help us today see correctly. 
God, correct our vision. That what was dead is no longer dead. What was closed, God, you're now opening. God, we see the imperfection and you see the finished product. God, we see messed up, you see finished. God, let us see what you're seeing. Open our eyes to see the reality of that which you've already done. In Jesus' name.